Jude gave a prophetic word, and I'm already modeling the uh, whiteness of the hair and the goodness of God, so um, I'm on it. I'm all over it. Uh, okay, it's good to speak with you. We're going to try and keep... We'll be going on longer than usual, and I think that's okay. This has been a, a really lovely morning. Um, Dr. D Wayne Dyer has a great quote, in a world where you can be right or be kind, be kind. And I am one of those annoying people who have those little posters in places. My husband can't bear them, so I had it at work. Um, and I used to have it to the left of my computer screen, so that when I maybe got an email or something that maybe triggered some stuff for me, I literally saw, be kind. If I can be right or be kind, be kind. And I did that. My colleagues will tell you I didn't always do it. But I wanted to be known for my kindness, not because it's just a great human quality, but because it is the quality of Jesus that I love and I fall in love with him again and again when I see his kindness and his compassion. And I am so excited to speak to you from this story today because this is Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And we see the kindness and the compassion of the Lord. And when we see the Son, we see the Father. And so I want to, before I read you the passage and we, we think about it, I want to consider the context, the cultural context that this story is being told. Because like every Bible story, you only get the gold of it when you understand the culture of what was actually happening at that time. And so... This story speaks to us of the kindness and compassion of the Lord who truly knows us, who truly knows us, and in whom there is no shame. There is no shame. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we are fully known, all of us, all the bits that we try and hide from each other, all the bits that we try and hide from ourselves. We are fully known and fully loved. And when we experience his knowledge of us, our mess, our past, our present, and our future, we are transformed. And so this is the story, I also love this, because this is the story of the first female preacher, Go Girls. And through her, a village met Jesus. Through the most defiled, most rejected, most shamed woman in that community, her whole village met Jesus. I want to walk alongside those women. I want to be the community that invites those women and calls those women out and says, show us the way to the Father. That's not even on my notes. So, <laughs> so the context of the time, that's what I want to speak to. I want you to think about this before we actually look at the passage, and I'm going to read it in the message because I think Peterson does a beautiful, beautiful work of drawing out some of the wisdom. So in the context of that time, it was a patriarchal society, we know that. Pious Jews would not even have traveled through Samaria. They would have bypassed it completely. And Jesus and the disciples head straight through. This conversation that we're gonna look at this morning is considered to be the longest because the disciples went off into the village to get their food and left Jesus with no, nothing to draw water at the well. So they reckon it might have taken an hour to two hours, and it's probably the longest conversation that Jesus had that we know about in the Gospels. So there's something significant in that. He chooses to take the longest time 
with the most dishonored person that he could possibly find. And it's the first time he calls himself the Messiah. So this is a significant conversation. He also speaks to two parts of theology. He speaks to mission and he speaks to worship. And he does it with a Samaritan woman. A highly valued and most quoted rabbi of that time, of Jesus' time, a guy called Elzar. He was quoted as saying, I'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. I'd rather burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. And here we have Jesus in all his beauty having a theological discussion with a woman. Amen. If we think of that woman, I've heard this this passage taught so many times over the course of my life, and I've heard this woman called a woman of the night. I've heard her called a harlot. I've heard her called a prostitute. I've heard her called a sex worker, which I think is the most respectful way to speak of her. But it's much more likely, if we consider the context and the culture, that she was a victim. Because in that culture, women couldn't actually divorce men. It was men who did it. And the current man that she was with didn't even offer her the dignity of marrying her. Because in that culture, when you were married, you were raised in your position. So this woman had been rejected by five men. I read one commentator who said she could have been a teen bride. And if her elderly husband died, the practice was that all of his elderly brothers could then marry you. This woman was a victim. This woman was a victim of unbelievable patriarchy and the Lord chose, called it out and chose her. When women came to the well back in those days, men were to stand back 20 meters and they were to turn their back to them. They weren't even to give them eye contact. And that was as much about their protection as anything else. But that is what was to happen. If you were a man at the well and a woman arrived, you were to turn your back and move 20 meters and not initiate any conversation with her. Jesus and Jews, sorry, and Samaritans never shared crockery. If a Jew had drunk out of anything to do with a Samaritan, they would have considered it defiled. And at this point in history, Jews and Samaritans had a 500-year hostility. The other thing was wells did not have buckets. It was a shared job. You came with friends. You, women came together in the cool of the day. They never came at the heat of the day. They came in the cool of the day as a group. And if as a woman you join with other women, you know that it's always good. There's great conversation to be had. This woman came on her own and there's significance in that. So if we think of this as a cultural context to this story, I want you to listen to it as I read it over you and maybe think of it slightly different. And then I just want to draw out two ideas for your conversations. So this is from the message. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the Peter people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and returned to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus was worn out by the trip and he sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water and Jesus said, 
would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days would not be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Thank you, Eugene. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us. Jesus ignores her historical theological debate. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. Jesus said to her, go call your husband then, come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there for sure. Okay, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? She's trying to draw him into another debate. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has in fact come that what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. And this is the gold of what worship really is. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming and when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then as disciples came back, they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew all the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. And if we go on down to to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the village committed themselves to him because of that woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on and he stayed for two more days. 
More and more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and we know it for sure. He's the saviour of the world. Amen. I want to draw your attention and get you thinking together in your groups. I love this idea. It's that we get a, a theology of mission, how we live as followers of Jesus. We don't need to go over that Jesus saw her. We don't need to go over that Jesus sees women and men as equal. Surely that, that battle is over. I want to think this morning, I want you to think this morning about when Jesus started a conversation with her, he didn't start with, you need me. He got there, but he didn't start with that. He gently engaged her in conversation and he showed his humanity and his vulnerability to her. And he said, can you give me a drink? I'm hot and I'm thirsty and I need a drink. I need you. And when Jesus sent out the first disciples in Mark chapter 6, he told them, take nothing, go with need, take nothing. Daniel Niles, who is a Sri Lankan theologian, he describes our Lord and he says, he was a true servant because he was at the mercy of those he came to serve. This weakness of Jesus, we, his disciples, must share. To serve from a position of power is not true service, but beneficence. The only way to build love between two groups is to stand in need of each other. We, Redeemer, as the followers of Jesus, must serve, but we must serve from a position of need because then we are together. We would go back to that very good gospel idea that the shalom is in the in-between. I think that is really worth paying attention to and thinking about how do we engage, how do we talk, how do we invite others into relationship with Jesus. We do it from a position of true service, not of arrogance or of power or of judgment, but of I need you and I can show you someone that you will meet and who will transform your lives. The second point I just want to draw our attention to is in, in verses 22 to 25, I'm calling it the theology of worship. Jesus speaks to what worship actually is. It's about our inner lives connecting with God. Being seen and being fully known, we tend to avoid it, but yet it is our deep soul craving. The water of life that Jesus is talking about to this woman. So when he tells her you've had five husbands and the one you're with at the minute you're not even married to. He's not doing that to shame her. He's not doing that to judge her. He's doing that to say to her, I know the rejection that you faced. I know your deepest wound. And I am giving you the water of life and you will not be thirsty anymore. And I don't know about you, but when I really look at my heart and I see the wounds that I carry, I also see the things I do, the way I behave, the way I think, that tries to cover up, that tries to make you think I'm someone I'm not. And yet the Lord is saying to us, come to me with all your mess, with all your hurt, with all your wounds, with all your pain, and I will give you the water of life and you will thirst no more. 
And I think that when she walks away, when she walks away and she forgets her water pot, it's almost a metaphor to remind us, when you drink of the water of life, you actually forget all the stuff that you usually do to cover up and to not be known. James Allison, who is a great Catholic theologian who I enjoy reading, he says, faith is not intellectually ascending to theological propositions, but relaxing. Relaxing in the love and the presence of God. And when I'm at my most relaxed, you will see a lot more of me <laughs> than when I'm nervous. Those of you who know me can testify to that. When we feel known by the beautiful one, we are at our most authentic, our most real, and we are at our most whole. That, I believe, is what Jesus is trying to tell us when he calls out the woman, not to shame her, but to say, I know you, you don't need to hide. And I will give you something that will restore you in a way that you will never imagine. So, I've possibly gone over my time. We're now going to take 10, 15 minutes to talk through a couple of questions and then we're going to come back to the table. So Dave's going to do the organizing. Thank you, Dave. Great stuff.